you truly are to be commended for the generosity you've showed in providing the water pitchers for Flint. And I hope some of you will be able to actually go and distribute them as well. That's what Christianity is all about. To look at a need, and not just talk about a need, but to meet the need. And the fact that you have done this and you continue to do it does speak to the love of God flowing through you to people we don't even know, people that aren't going to be here to make a difference in our lives, but you have made a difference in them. When Jesus Christ stepped into the world, he made a difference. And that's what we're talking about this month as we look at the fact that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, what that means, and how it means that our lives are changed because of what he did and the sacrifice that he made. We began last week talking about the first sacrifice that we read about in the Bible. When sin entered into the picture in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve fell, they tried to cover their sin and their wrongdoing with fig leaves. In other words, they tried to atone for their mistake. They tried to make up for what they have done by determining what might work and hoping that it would please God, only to find out that it wasn't enough. They couldn't do it. And the Lord himself would decide how their sin would be atoned for. And so instead of fig leaves, he sacrificed an animal. He made them skins to wear and cover them. And that clothing speaks of the first sacrifice and the blood that was shed. Because once sin enters the picture, it breaks our relationship with God, and somehow that relationship has to be repaired if we are going to be the people that God created us to be. Grace, love, all shown in the sacrifice that was made. Because everything could have ended right there at the garden. Everything could have stopped. The relationship was broken. How could we go on? But God made a way, even though we were sinful, for us to continue in life and point the way to him and fix that broken relationship. Sin was covered. It wasn't totally removed by that animal blood. But the atonement had been made, and we can continue. And today we look at another story that speaks to the Lamb of God and the importance of sacrifice. And it's a story that gives us a glimpse into the depth of God's love and God's grace towards us. It's a strange story. It's the story of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac. Abraham is one of those characters in the Bible that everybody wants to emulate. We talk about the blessings of Abraham, and we pray that we will be blessed the way Abraham was blessed. And mostly when we talk about that, we're thinking about uh, the material things that God blessed Abraham with. He had wealth, he had position, uh, he had the promises of God made to him and saw them fulfilled. He began by leaving his home when God first called him. God said, wherever you go in this land I'm going to take you to, that's going to be the home for your descendants. And he left the Ur of the Chaldees, he went to Canaan, and he began to sojourn there. He was a man connected to God, 
But that didn't make him perfect. He was impatient. He knew God had promised him a child, and he was waiting for that child, but as he and Sarah became too old to actually have a child, he began to doubt what God had actually said to him. He ended up taking a second wife. His son Ishmael was born. But this was not the child that God had promised him. And so it became a problem. But Abraham saw the miracle power of God when Isaac was born to Sarah. It began in a way that he never could expect to happen because both of them were too old. When you're 100 years old, you just don't expect to have a child. But they had one anyway. And what a difference that made in their lives, how happy they were. Of course, that would eventually mean they would have to put Ishmael out, but the Lord was in all of those decisions. And as we come to chapter 22, we have a period of time where Isaac has been growing up and things have been calm. It doesn't record too many instances where the Lord comes to Abraham and talks to him over this time period. But it seems that life is pretty good for Abraham. Uh, He's got wealth, he's got position, uh, he has no real problems. Isaac's growing up by the time chapter 22 takes place. He's really a young man at this point. He's not a child anymore. And life has been good to him and Sarah. And then all of a sudden, again, God comes to talk to him. But this time, it's a very different request. It's not a, a... contract they're making where God is going to watch over him and bless him. It is not a new covenant that's going to promise him even more than he already has. God is putting him to a test, to test the depth of his understanding of God's word. And can he really do what God asked them to do even when it doesn't make any sense? Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Take your son, your only son that you love, and sacrifice him to me. This has always been one of those stories that engenders a lot of discussion and ideas of what the purpose is. I remember in college, this is the story of one of the first discussions I ever had with non-believers who just could not accept what this story was all about. How could God require someone to sacrifice one of their children? In fact, isn't it even contradictory that he asked it at all? Because we know in the law, if you sacrificed a human being, that was a death penalty crime. That was against the law of God. So why would God ask somebody to do it in one instance and then turn around and make it a, a bad thing to do in another instance? You know, how can God be that wishy-washy? And why would he even ask somebody to do that anyway? It doesn't make any sense. And I couldn't possibly serve a God who would require somebody to kill their own child. And you try and explain the story to him that actually this is not about God asking you to kill a child. 
God has never asked you to kill a child. He's not going to. There's a very different purpose behind this story. But they don't want to hear it. But this morning we want to look at this story to see what in the world is God testing Abraham about here? What does he really want him to do? And what sacrifice was he really looking at? Because it is strange. It is different that God would say, take your son, your only son, the one you love, the son of promise, and lay him on an altar and sacrifice him, put him to death. It's strange that in this verse, this son whom you love that is mentioned is the very first time in the Bible that the word love is actually used. And it gives us an example of what real love is truly about. Because the first example of love in the Bible is the explanation of love between a father and a son. It's not about love between a husband and a wife or family members we have. It's the story of love between a father and a son. A father that loves his son and a son that loves his father. And we understand because we have children and, and we have people we love. And we know how difficult it would be to hear something like this in our own family. So we can empathize with Abraham. We can understand what a shock this must have been to him and how hard it would be to actually do what God was requiring of him. Just the idea of human sacrifice is repulsive. Nobody wants to think about actually putting someone else to death that way. Abraham had never thought about that as something he wanted to do. And to sacrifice the one child that's the promised seed, that doesn't make any sense either. Couldn't you do what Abraham would do when it makes no sense at all? See, that's the real test. When you're in a situation that you don't understand, when you don't know why God says what he says, when you look at the natural and says, this just isn't going to work, this, doesn't, this isn't anything I can do, this doesn't make any sense. Can you believe that God knows what he's doing, that he knows what he's talking about, and that he can work it out together for good even when you don't understand it? So Isaac was destined to be the father of many nations. He was the offspring of promise. The world was going to be blessed through him. So how could the world be blessed if he's taken out of the picture? All these questions had to go through Abraham's mind. He had to think, wow, this is something I sure didn't expect. But how did he respond to the test that God put him through? How did he react when he heard something that probably rocked him to his core, and he didn't know what to do. In verse 3, it says, Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey, while I and the boy go over there, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. So Abraham responded immediately with obedience. You don't read about him starting a conversation with God, trying to argue him out of this decision. 
Why do I have to do this? You know, what are you talking about? You've already promised me this, and on and on that we like to argue about. You don't read any of that. It just says he got up the next morning and got everything ready for the sacrifice. Cut the wood that he would needed, got the fire he needed, got the donkey saddled, got everything ready to go to the place that God wanted him to do. How could he do that? See, Abraham had come to the point in his life when he knew the word of God was true. Just having Isaac in the first place had finally convinced him that when God promises something, God will make it happen. His impatience had messed it up, but now he began to understand God will do whatever he promises to do. And so whatever it was that was going to take place, he could obey because he knew the truth of the word of God. He knew that the promises God made would come to pass. He didn't have to worry about that. He didn't have to fix it. He didn't have to help. And you see that he really believed God would take care of the problem because when they left his servants, he said, we'll both be back. You know, The servants probably didn't understand what was about to happen. But Abraham somehow knew that everything was going to be all right. And he told his servants, we're both coming back. Now that takes faith to know that God is going to work it out. However, he's going to work it out. Where did he get that kind of faith? What did he understand? Well, in Hebrews 11, the writer there tells us about that faith that Abraham had. In verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. See, Abraham believed in the resurrection of the dead, even though he had not actually seen it happen. Jesus hadn't come into the world yet. He hadn't been resurrected. Lazarus hadn't been resurrected yet. He really didn't have a lot of evidence, but he knew God was in control. And so Abraham understood the Lord was going to work this out in one of two ways. He would either provide the sacrifice that was needed, Or, if he did have to slay Isaac, he'd bring him back to life. Either way, it was going to work out because he so trusted the Lord to keep his promise that Isaac would be the chosen seed that he didn't worry too much about what was going to happen here. See, Isaac put, or Abraham put actions to his faith. We don't just read about him enjoying all the benefits of God and all the blessings he had and never really showing the depth of his understanding. God put him to a severe test. And it was in that test that he showed what he really thought of the word of God. In James 2, James writes it this way in verse 21. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous? For what he did when he offered his son, Isaac, on the altar, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. 
And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. See, in other words, when you come to an understanding of who God is, you accept God's words and his ways, and it shows in the way you live your life. It's not just enough to have discussions about God, to read your word, uh, to have nice opportunities to come together and worship. The question is, how do you live your life? Do you really show in the way you make decisions and the actions that you have that you believe what Jesus Christ says? Is the Bible true? Because sooner or later, all of us are going to be put to a test. You might be in a test right now. Uh, we come and go through tests all the time. And when you read the story of Abraham, one of the encouraging things you can get is the more mature you are as a Christian, the greater the test. It doesn't mean that if you pass all the little tests when you first get saved, that somehow now you've arrived and you can just enjoy the blessings of God and you're never going to have a problem again. No, it just means you graduate. You get to have better tests. You get to have harder tests because the depth of your understanding of God's word can only be understood in times of testing. The first question that we're usually tested on is the one that Abraham was tested on. Do you believe the word of God is true? Do you really believe that the Bible contains the word of God and that it is truth? Or are we going to quibble about whether or not it's just about God but not from God? Or it's a nice guidebook, but, you know, you can't take it too seriously. Or it's just too hard to understand anyway because it seems to contradict itself. You can have all your reasons why you don't think it's truth. But if you don't really think it's true, when the test comes, you're not going to pass. Abraham believed in the resurrection. Do you believe in the resurrection? See, and I don't mean just... Yeah, I know the story. Yeah, we've heard it every Easter. Easter's coming up. We're going to hear it again. You know, he died, he rose, sits up there in heaven now. I know that story. But do you believe it? Do you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Because if you do, why do you act the way you do? You know, if you really believe that he is coming back, that eternal life is ours through Jesus Christ, why do you act like you don't believe it? Why do you get upset about every problem that comes your way? Why do you fuss about all kinds of stuff that's unimportant? We have eternal life. He's coming back for us. Why wouldn't you tell anybody that? See, if you really believe it, you have to tell somebody. If you're not telling anybody, you don't really believe it. Because it doesn't matter to you if other people make it to heaven or not. You figure, well, I'm good, so everybody's on their own. But that's not what it's all about. Do you believe his word is true when he said, go into all the world and make disciples? Are you going to follow that? Or do you have other issues that come up? Can you trust God's way and God's will for your life 
even when you don't understand why your life is going in the direction it is. See, it's easy to think, well, when God blesses me, that's great. But what happens when he doesn't bless you? And you go to the Word and you say, but I thought he was supposed to bless me, but he didn't seem to. I've prayed and prayed and prayed for healing, and I'm still not healed. What's that all about? Can you trust him and know the truth of his word even if you don't get healed? Can you trust him if, if you're not in the job that you want and you don't understand why doors keep closing and you can't move to the one you really care about? Can you believe that maybe he's got you where he's got you for a reason and you ought to make the most of where you are instead of always fussing about where you want to be? Can you be happy when your miserable, selfish brother-in-law wins a million dollars or just seems to be always on the receiving end of something good when you who live righteously seem to have one problem after another? It's hard sometimes to understand the way that God takes our pathways in our life, but can you follow him? when you really don't understand what it's all about. See, if God's word is true, can you understand that when he sins, says sin is destructive, that it actually is, that it leads to death, and the more you engage in it, the worse off you're going to be? Or do you have these ideas of, well, this sin's really not all that bad? You know, and I don't think that the doing this is really going to make a big difference in my life. I don't think it matters if we live together before we get married. I don't really read about that in the Bible anyway. You might read the King James then and look up the word fornication because that's where it is and see how many times it's actually listed. But we have this idea that it doesn't matter. Or can you stay in a marriage even when that marriage isn't your ideal of what it ought to be. Now, I'm not talking about adultery and abuse here. I'm just saying when your marriage doesn't meet your expectations, when it gets dull, when it gets hard, when you argue all the time, can you believe that God still wants you to stay in that marriage and work it out because he has a plan for your life even if you don't understand it? Can you believe his word is true? Is there only one way to eternal life? Can we actually believe that? Or are we still hung up on the fact that good people ought to go to heaven? I have the best neighbors. They're wonderful people, but they're not Christians. Well, then you need to talk to them about Jesus Christ rather than talking about how good they are and you can't believe they're not going to heaven. If you believe the word of God, you live by it. That's what James says. That's what Hebrew says, and that's what the story of Abraham says. And of course, in this story as well is the question, what are you willing to sacrifice in order to fulfill the word of God in your life, the will of God? Most of us don't like that word sacrifice. Now, Abraham had to sacrifice his own child. Most of us can't even sacrifice five minutes of our time. We just don't want sacrifice even to be mentioned. Because if it inconveniences us, if it's something we really don't want to do, then I really don't think we ought to do it. 
Because, you know, following God should just be a joy. It should just be a wonderful experience. And, you know, I don't think it should ever really get hard. But, you know, sometimes it does. When given a choice between coming to church on Sunday morning and being in God's presence with his people, worshiping and praising, or going to one of your children's sporting events, which do you think pleases God? Oh, but you know, he's destined to be, you know, this great. No, he's not. <laughs> Probably not. And even if he is, so what? Who's first? The NFL or God? You know, who's important? If parents spent a tenth of the amount of time on the spiritual development of their children as they do in their sports and academics, the whole church would be full and better off. But we don't want to do it. We don't want to sacrifice that because the world shapes what we want. So let's, let's engage them in everything but the youth group, everything but the church, everything but Sunday school. And then when they're 20 and leave the church, hold up your hands and go, I don't know what happened. We raised them to love God. No, actually, you raised them to love sports or music or whatever, art, whatever it was that took their time. You weren't willing to sacrifice that in order to make sure they were in the kingdom of God. Some of you, when we talk about missions, you know your heart is moved to reach out to certain groups of people, whether it's people in other nations that need to hear uh, the word of God or whether it's people right here who are in jail or trafficked or whatever. You know that the Lord has put on your heart a desire to help them. But it would require sacrifice to actually do that. Maybe you'd have to leave your job in order to make it a full-time mission. Or just maybe you'd have to give up something else in order to do that. And you're like, I don't know if I really want to do that. If God's calling you to do it, you've got to be willing to sacrifice those areas of your time that are irrelevant to the kingdom of God and make sure you're doing what God wants you to do. Can you refuse to accommodate adult children who are living in sin? And by that I mean, can you sacrifice this idea that you have to fix them? Can you stop giving them money? Can you stop letting them in your house when they sin? Can you draw a line that says, we live this way in this house, and as long as you aren't going to live this way, you've got to find someplace else to be? Or are we, well, you know, they're my child, and I just have to take care of them forever. You want to go, he's 30 now. You need to move him out. Let him make his own decisions. What can you sacrifice? Because mostly we don't want to. We've all seen people that were Christians and, and part of our circles that seem so on fire to, for God. But over time, you look around and wonder, what happened to them? Where'd they go? Why aren't they serving God anymore? Or why are they just uh, so caught up in the things of this world that it doesn't seem to matter anymore whether they come or don't come? They failed the test that God had put before them. They got caught up in, in the idea of 
all that we have and accumulation of things and wanting to be a success in this world. Or they left over some perceived offense of what somebody said or did that they didn't like or just some decisions made in the church or maybe they're just disappointed because they prayed and God didn't answer the way they ought to. Whatever it is, it's hard to stay in the race for the long haul. But the reason God sends tests is to see the depth of your understanding of his word. Are you here through the good times and bad times, or do you just follow God when it's convenient and when he blesses you the way you think you ought to be blessed? Because he puts people in your path to offend you. said that before. He gives you people that rub you the wrong way because he wants to change you. And he wants to show you what he's talking about when he says things in his word. Abraham's faith was deep. He understood that when God said something to him, God did not lie, and God would make it happen. Didn't matter if he understood it, God would keep his promises. And God had promised Isaac would be his descendant, and so he believed God would either bring him back or he'd provide a substitute. And so he left immediately. He went to the place God told him to do, and then he followed the directions that God had given him. Verse 6 of chapter 22. says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. This is a picture of what sacrifice is all about. See, sacrifice is the atoning for sin. It means that blood has to be shed in order to reconcile us to God and take away our sin. Abraham was willing to give up the son that he truly loved. But also we have the picture of Isaac, who was willing to do what his father asked him to do without any upset. See, Isaac's not a little boy at this time. He's old enough, and he's big enough. Abraham's very old. He could have stopped the whole thing but he was willing to do what his father asked him to do and lay down his life knowing that not only did his father have his best interests at heart, 
but what was happening would be for him, the Word of God becoming real as well. But it shows that it's not really possible to atone for sin and appease God with the blood of a human being. See, even though he would give God the thing that he loved the most, that would not atone for his sin because this was not the blood of a person that was righteous. Isaac was a sinner just like all of us are as sinners. And we cannot make the atonement for our sin ourselves. Adam and Eve couldn't do it with fig leaves. The blood of an animal had to be shed because that was God's determination of what would atone for their sin. And here you have the same picture. Even if you gave God everything that you have, even if you were the best person you could be, even if you were 100% sold out to God and doing all that you could, you still could not atone for the sin in your life because sin has separated us from God and we cannot repair that breach by our own devices and our own ideas of what should fix it. Animal blood would provide a covering but the only way that our sins could be taken away was if a man gave up his life who had never sinned. And that man was not Isaac. And so only God could provide the sacrifice that was needed to atone for sin. That's why when Abraham was ready to sacrifice Isaac, the angel stopped him and said, no, there's a ram in the thicket. Sacrifice the ram instead. Because to slay his son would not have done anything for the question of sin. It had to be got done on God's terms and done God's way. That ram was a substitute for Isaac. Isaac did not have to die. The ram had to die. The ram was not a sinner. Isaac was a sinner. But the ram died in his place because that's the way God said it needed to happen. Isaac did not die because his blood, even though Abraham loved him and it was a great sacrifice, would not have done anything for sin. That had to be given from God because God is the only one who could send into the world a son that would be without sin. Abraham's faith was evident in his willingness to sacrifice, but taking his son's life was never really required of him. It's just a picture for us to see the great sacrifice God has made in order to bring salvation to each and every one of us. And the angel went on to talk to him. In verse 15, it says, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time, and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And though your offspring and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Because of Abraham's obedience, 
all of us are blessed. Who was that offspring? We know that eventually it would be Jesus Christ. He would come into the world to save us from our sins. He would be the sacrifice that was needed for sin. This is what John the Baptist saw when he saw Jesus for the first time walking to him. In John 1, 29, it says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, he's the Lamb. None of us could be the Lamb because we're all sinners. We're the ones who need to be reconciled to God. We're the ones who need our sins taken away. But Jesus Christ became that lamb that would take away our sins. But the story of the sacrifice of Abraham gives us a picture of what it took for God to send Jesus to us. Because sometimes we, we get in our heads, well, that's God, and Jesus was God, and you know, somehow the feelings we have or the love we have is different because, you know, that's God, so... You know, he can do things we can't. God loved his son. He loved Jesus. And to send Jesus into a world that was going to persecute him, hate him, eventually crucify him and kill him was not an easy decision. But it shows the depth of God's love for us in that he was willing to do it. And Jesus was willing to obey his father and lay down his life for us because that was the only way we can be reconciled to God and have our sins taken away. It is only through the sacrifice that Jesus made that we can have a relationship because when our broken relationship with God can't be repaired, the only one that can make a way is God. It's on his terms. And he sent the true lamb into the world to take away our sins. Jesus willingly laid down his life for us. And at the last supper that he had with his disciples, he tried to prepare them for what was about to happen. In Matthew 26, verse 26, it says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And this morning, we had the opportunity to sit at his communion table and partake of that sacrifice, knowing that it represents the love of Jesus Christ the love of God for all of us. We would not be here if it was not for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask the deacons and elders if they'll prepare to serve us the communion supper at this time. The bread will be passed first, and we just ask that as you take it, you hold it until we bless it together, and then the cup will be passed as well. When Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he said, Remember that when you take communion, it's about what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's not just a ritual we go through. It's not just something that we do because we're supposed to do it. 
He says there's something to it. There's some blessing in it that we don't even understand. But it's not for us to really try to figure out every aspect of it. Like Abraham, he's asking us to obey. And we obey when we sit down at his communion supper and remember what it's all about. You don't have to be a member of this church to take communion, but we do ask that you're a member of the body of Jesus Christ, that his blood has taken away your sins, and you are in right standing with him. But the Apostle Paul said that whenever we sit down at the supper, the communion supper, we should take a moment to examine ourselves. Because if we would examine ourselves every time we come together, we would solve an awful lot of problems. You're not examining the heart of the person sitting next to you. You're examining yourself. He said, you know, if someone's offended you and, and there's a problem, go and make it right. Life's too short to have all these offenses. If you're angry at God, just talk to him about it. If he hasn't answered your prayers, just tell him you're upset, but then leave it in his hands. And if you can't commit to God 100%, you need to examine your heart as to why. What's keeping you from really being, thank you, all that God wants you to be? As this bread is being passed, take this time to just examine your heart before the Lord. of Abraham is not a story about human sacrifice. It's a story about the depth of God's love for us. That the way Abraham loved his son is the way God loves Jesus. And that he willingly came into a world to make it possible for us to be reconciled to God. This bread represents his body that was broken for us. What he endured, most of us will never even begin to understand because we don't have to endure that. As that ram died in the place of Isaac, Jesus died in our place so that we don't have to go to the cross. Father, we hold this bread up for your blessing, knowing that it indeed is a picture of what you've done for us your body that was broken for us. What a picture that's really still beyond our comprehension, what it took for us to be reconciled to you. But Lord, as we take this bread, may we begin to understand the importance of your body, the body of Christ. And we are part of that body. So let's remove all offenses. Let's stop being upset about little things and see ourselves as called by you, one body, the body that you gave up for our sin. Bless us now as we take this bread together. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. God bless you as you take the bread.
This cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. Bible says the life is in the blood. That means we have eternal life through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's the only way life is given to us. To believe in the resurrection, to know that eternal life is ours, makes all the difference in the world. I just told Sam, Sam Frontera did pass away while we were here worshiping this morning. We prayed for an abundant entrance for him. You know, it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ that we can pray that, that we can have the peace of knowing where he is. And we don't mourn as those without any hope, but we have the hope of the resurrection through Jesus Christ our Lord. More details will be coming in tomorrow. You can call the church uh, for those details of the funeral. But know that when you know Jesus Christ, the question of eternity is settled. And if you settle every time we take this cup together, that he is the Lord of your life, then the future isn't anything to worry about. Whatever may be handed to you, whatever difficulty may come your way, the Lord is faithful to his word, and he will keep us to that day, the day of his coming and his resurrection, our resurrection, once again. Father, we ask you to bless this cup, this cup that represents your blood that is our life, the blood that gave us eternal life. We thank you for all that you sacrificed for us. You really were the Lamb of God, the substitute in our place. And I ask your blessing upon us now as we take this cup together. May we remember all that you've done for us and never forget we can trust your word. We can trust your ways. We can put ourselves into your hands and know that your will is what needs to happen. Not our will, but your will, God. We pray that as we take this cup now, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.